Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. This is Receipts, a dating podcast with evidence. I'm your host, Jenny Gorlick, and with the help of professional daters, we unpack the subtext of texts, DMs, emails, pretty much anything you can screenshot. I interview comedians about their dating lives, put together panels of experts to get to the bottom of age-old questions like, when does cuffing season begin and end? How do I answer my hinge prompts? And should I text him back? We hear your questions and we've got plenty of answers. And listeners can even DM me their receipts for advice. Listen literally anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes on Thursdays. You better not swipe left on this podcast. Baby, I'm so into you. You got that something. What can I do? It's the Luminaries with David Odyssey. This time, the cosmic legacy of the princess of pop, Britney Jean Spears. An astrological breakdown with special guest Dexter Driscoll. But first, thoughts on Valentine's Day, WandaVision, and my ethical and emotional reaction to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer revelations. Thanks for listening. At the time of this recording, it is February 15th, and you should know what is coming. Um, I just spoke with future guest Lulu Kraus about this, but I was not expecting um, the assault on social media that took place yesterday on Valentine's Day, in which many noted uh, intellectuals I know lost their minds and... um, posted, you know, quote, uh, I'm in love with this goober, quote, uh, unquote, um, you know, that those, those sorts of things. Um, listen, I celebrate love, but if I ever do that, um, it means something is wrong. It means that, you know, it's Nicole Kidman marrying into Scientology in the 90s. It means something is wrong. I need help. Um, if I ever post anything like that, um, I hope that you, the listeners, will um, take me by the hand and walk me into traffic. I have emotionally prepared for many years for the um, absolute horror of national siblings day mother's day father's day posts christmas thanksgiving i mean i think all of these people are sick but valentine's day i really i just did not see it coming this year of all years i understand that this has been a horrific mercury in retrograde this has been a grueling winter i'm usually too self-involved to be aware of weather but this has been a, a rough one but Valentine's Day. Here we are. Um, Again, celebrate all of you. Uh, I was at the Sultan Room, uh, gratefully and gracefully, uh, where I saw Chada, Bojangles, Charlene Incarnate. Uh, Charlene did Anastasia, I'm Out of Love, which you all remember from the Sex and the City TV series soundtrack. Thank you very much. There's a lot going on that I want to talk about. Um, Just to get some things out of the way, I am really enjoying WandaVision. I felt that... uh, uh, Listen, I don't think it's 
anything that comes out of like Disney hell world is going to be so um, poignant. But I did feel like the social commentary. I hate that term. I felt like the satire this week was very good, especially when the uh, black character playing Frankenstein turns to Elizabeth Olsen and says, do you want, can I do anything for you? And there was this like, uh, the Karen effect of that show of like white woman uh, who will kill to hang on to her suburban fantasy is very delicious. Um, the realization that obviously Aaron Taylor Johnson um, can, you know, chain me up in a basement, but the realization that Evan Peters, if I saw him at a sex party, let's go. You know what I mean? He, he, Evan Peters, I think, is a straight woman's fascination, but he... Listen, it's it's okay. Um, I still haven't watched Drag Race. I, I, I keep... I swear to God, I keep sitting down to watch it, and it feels like... Is this what being old is? When I was when I was young and I would watch Dexter's Lab, my mom would say to me, why does it have to be so loud? That show is so loud. Not the TV itself, the show... Like it would pain her when I would listen, watch it. Is that what's going on with me? I literally, the frequency is exhausting me. Um, again, we know that I'm going to be obsessed with it once I like sit down and commit. I just, I literally am like, why don't you all just shut the fuck up for a minute? <laughs> is that a good attitude? Is that homophobic? Okay. I am very excited about this week's episode um, with Dexter Driscoll, uh, who is an astrological phenom, and we're talking about Britney Spears. Um, A lot of what the documentary touched on is what has been coming through with the Buffy revelations this week. So let me just share my feelings and take them or leave them. I feel like the documentary did a really good job of showing. I mean, I think it could have gone on for another six hours, but whatever. I think the documentary did a really good job of showing what happens when a career begins in the peak of the girl power era, and then a career has to continue through post-9-11, George Bush, um, Susan Faludi, Terror Dream, uh, women in the kitchen, teen mom, low rise jeans, um, the death of girl power, and the kind of punishment and retribution that happens there. Any woman who was working in the music industry or in Hollywood in the first six years of George Bush's presidency is forever traumatized, period. If you've been listening to this podcast, it's a lot of the news that came out over the last week felt spooky to me because over the course of the last 10 episodes, I have been talking about my complicated rewatch of Angel, which is um, the spinoff series of Buffy, which uh, star Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia Chase, she's a Leo, um, co-starred on with David Boreanaz Torres, and... Um, over the last week, uh, formally, 
um, brought to light many of things that she's spoken about or hinted at in the past, which is the way that Joss Whedon abused her and terrorized her on set, particularly uh, during season four of Angel when she was pregnant and after when she was fired from the show. This all feels very spooky to me because I just finished season four. Um, I have been on this podcast talking about this kind of reckoning I've been having where I have been resisting watching it because I I have bad memories of the character Cordelia being violated. Like it's the most notorious character assassination probably of all time. And the actress... Um, speaking publicly in the past about the ways that she was kind of punished by Joss Whedon for getting pregnant and, you know, wanting to be a person. Um, And I've been talking, I had talked a lot about it with my therapist who basically said, you know, Angel is about um, the fact that there are no happy endings. Angel is about the idea that like, we don't get what we want and things don't work out the way they're supposed to. And Angel is about, um, essentially what I came to was it's important that I rewatch this thing that was so vital to me when I was a child, because even as a child, um, when characters were violated or like maimed, which ha- Buffy would maim characters, Angel would violate them, which I'll get into. It kicked me out of the kind of fantasy and the escape, and it's kind of important that it did. And what my therapist was basically saying was it's important to know that you can't go into these fantasy worlds, that they're not a perfect escape, and that they will, if they resonate with your trauma, they will lead back to your trauma, and that. It's, it doesn't really, they can, they can be a portal, but it's, it's a round trip. It's not a one-way trip. And I'm glad that I've had those conversations because I've really gained a lot from rewatching Angel. Um, a lot of the people who are doing the press coverage of this Cordy, this Charisma Carpenter thing, um, clearly just haven't watched these shows. Um, just like, let's just say that off the bat. Angel ran for five seasons. Charisma Carpenter was the star of Angel. So every DVD box set of Angel has Charisma Carpenter on the cover with David Boreanaz. So a lot of the news is is saying that she's talking about Buffy. She's actually talking about Buffy. She was like a, a backup character. Angel, she was the star and she was unceremoniously um, turned into like a villain basically out of nowhere and then uh, booted off the show. And Joss Whedon uh, gaslit her, terrorized her, and um, his abuse led to um, physical complications with her her pregnancy, including Braxton Hicks' contraction. I'm really grateful that I've watched, that I've been rewatching Angel, and I think that season four, despite the character assassination of Cordelia, is one of the best seasons of television of all time. It is crazy. It's audacious. It is a Scientology season. But it does always, on a fundamental level, connect back to this theme of things don't work out the way you think they should. And the traditional mythology is not going to apply to real life. I know that that sounds really... I I just want to say Angel ran from from 1999 through 2000... 
four. And Angel is better than Game of Thrones. Angel did all of this long before Game of Thrones did, and so did Buffy. So now I just want to, like, put things together. Um, I was in a fugue state uh, when Charisma Carpenter spoke out and when Sarah Michelle Gellar and Michelle Trachtenberg uh, and Eliza Dushku and Amber Benson um, all kind of added to, to what she said. I was, like... I was totally astounded. I was, I think Charisma Carpenter is the real deal. I think she is a true star. Like, I think when you watch her on screen, she can literally do anything and it will make you happy. And I, my dream is to somehow like make a project for her. Um, It was very, the whole thing is just so upsetting um, because I think like a lot of people, these shows are liberating. Buffy is a show about feminism. Um, And the women characters in all of Joss Whedon's shows, which we'll get into some of the fucked up aspects, but the women characters, if you think about Olivia Williams on Dollhouse, Julie Benz as Darla on Angel, Stephanie Romanov as um, Lila on Angel, anyone on Buffy, Emma Caulfield um, as Anya, just... You know, everything up to his Avengers years, which I think is really the nadir, um, or the beginning of the end. I don't know what the fuck was going on in that movie, Age of Ultron, when they give um, they give Scarlett Johansson that bizarre line about how she can't have children because she had, like, her ovaries removed while becoming a Russian spy. I was like, are we watching a Disney movie or what? Okay. It's obviously very upsetting and very violating to revisit this thing that is supposed to be... I am really uncomfortable with a lot of fan culture, which I've said before, and I have been to Buffy conventions. I've been around, you know, dyed-in-the-wool Buffy Buffy fans. Fans, and I speak as one of them, fans who go to conventions, fans fans who spend $50, as I have, to take a picture with Charisma Carpenter, etc., Fans are a traumatized populace. Um, For fans, stories are not just entertainment. They are um, a a better reality in which to live because this reality is not fair to us. For a lot of us, Buffy and Angel was that, that portal to another world. When I was in seventh grade and I was really going through it, I wanted to die and be reborn in Sunnydale. And when things didn't go the way I thought they should, when they maimed Xander on Buffy, when they really destroyed Cordelia on Angel, it was like hitting it, it was like getting kicked out of paradise. However, Fans, the fans of these shows are not naive. Because we are a traumatized populace, we are not naive. The idea of a betrayal, the idea of the kind of father figure who made all of this possible, this is not the first time this has happened to us. This is actually the second time. The first was in our real home, and now it is happening in our fantasy home, which is the kind of Buffyverse, let's say. 
Buffy is a feminist show. Angel, and I would also say Dollhouse, and like I just mentioned, Avengers. Women characters are violated. Every single woman on Angel, besides like Elizabeth Rum, and I guess Harmony, (laughs) every single woman on Angel dies. Three of those women die by having um, a an uh, evil force um, invade, occupy, and enervate her body. This is the theme of Dollhouse, which is uh, a woman's body is not her own. I don't know what sort of Oedipal issues are there involving um, the womb as a site of ultimate evil um, and the mother being... Um, the mother being invaded and um and warped and turned evil um but that's that's just kind of what happens it happens to cordelia it happens to darla it happens to fred i will say i'm just gonna say though the season five plot line in which fred is um invaded possessed and transformed into uh like a demon god called Illyria and she gets blue hair. It's kind of like a white queen of the dam storyline is incredible. So let's just say that, okay? It's it's fierce. Okay, but with Angel violation is built in, in into the pudding. With both Buffy and Angel, the idea of the happy ending is constantly flipped over its head. Buffy, you know, gives her life to save the world and then she's brought back and everything is a disappointment. Angel, especially in season four, to save the world, Angel has to end world peace. And just when things are about to work out, they never do, which becomes a fetish for Joss Whedon, which I find it gets a little punishing um, and, and he's obsessed with that. But on a larger scale, it works. Buffy ends season seven of Buffy. Buffy discovers that the Slayer power, the the kind of all power of great uh, feminist strength that that girds the show, is manufactured by misogynist men, and it's it's based in abuse. Buffy then transforms that and reclaims it and uses it to build her army. I was watching the episode of Angel season five in which in which uh, a mentally ill new slayer is called and she goes on a killing spree. And at the end of the episode, uh, the army of slayers comes to take her and Angel says, you know, no, she's staying with me. I'm going to take care of her. And they say, no, she's coming with us. You can't be trusted. At this point, Angel is running an evil law firm called Wolfram and Hart. It's supposed to be a metaphor for Joss Whedon's relationship with Fox and with the entertainment industry and all the kind of moral compromises one has to make in entertainment. Again, it's a very effective metaphor, but any idea that Joss Whedon is the victim is clearly bullshit. But there is this moment where the women basically say to him, like, no... You're not the one. 
Um, we have this army of women. We are going to take care of this woman's story now. Both shows, I think, in their final season say... The power belongs to the movement in the future. It does not really matter who the architects are who created it. And both shows in their DNA um, leave the viewer with this idea of reclamation. I don't want to compare. I I think comparing this to J.K. Rowling is kind of moot um, because... Buffy and Angel are made with a full crew with vast writers' rooms, many of which are are women with actors. Um, and I also find it really unremarkable to watch something that was made twenty years ago and complain about how things haven't aged well. That is the most boring thing I have ever heard in my life. It of nothing is going to age well based on the standards of this moment especially if they're standards that aren't your own, but standards that have been ascribed to you by Twitter, okay? Both shows are incredibly effective and set the DNA for a lot of the things that you do find very current, regardless. I don't think the shows have to die with him. I think if they make you uncomfortable, of course don't watch them. Like, I get it. But I think that the shows are about rejecting the male monolith i think both shows are about reclaiming power and narrative from the male creator i think the proof is really in the pudding and i think it's worth watching both shows for that sense of reclamation and so that you can understand the talent of these actresses who are abused and and bring them back in the way that we're seeing Emma Caulfield briefly on WandaVision and the joy that's bringing so many of us. I'm afraid that I'm not speaking as cogently as I'd like to, and I'm afraid that this might be coming off as insensitive. I'm just saying, like, these shows and these stories hit with a traumatized population. And that traumatized population knows better than anyone that there is no perfect escape and that everything, our homes, our families, everything is flawed, is tainted by violation, and is imperfect. Buffy and Angel are imperfect. Within Buffy and Angel, however, within these quote-unquote escapes is a form of resonance, a form of healing, and an invitation for discourse on the complexities of this imperfect vessel that's brought to us by a scumbag. I think within both shows, there is a way forward and a way to cope and reclaim and um, reintegrate this work without this creator okay on the theme of reclamation i am very excited for what's going on with britney spears um and i am really grateful that dexter who is a multiple returning guest astrological phenom and britney expert 
is here to discuss the cosmic reclamation that is going on among her fans um, and the reckoning that's happening. Thank you for listening. Uh, I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. May the spirit of Brittany guide us. Welcome to a very special episode of the Luminaries, uh, the free Brittany astrology edition. I have recruited a now three-time Luminaries guest, astrological phenom, uh, pop diva, and Brittany Spears expert, fellow Torian Dexter Driscoll. Dexter, thank you so much for being here again. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Just a little peel back the curtain to see how the sausage is made. We have already recorded uh, this podcast. Thanks to Mercury and Retrograde, it was not meant to be. We are going to persevere, uh, and it's going to be even better. And we do this in the spirit of of a performer who is perfect every time. We are willing to give it another go, you know? Absolutely. I will record this till every... I, we're going to do... This will be our Groundhog Day. We'll just do it over and over again until it's Exactly. Perfect. How many times did she rehearse the Womanizer choreography? You know, I ask exactly. you that. I mean, she probably only needed to do it once because she's perfect, but like... It's true. We're mere mortals. <laughs> so, to start, I would love to get... Before we get into the astrology itself, I want to know about your personal history with Britney Spears, you know, as, as you can sum it up. Obviously, it's hard to sum up something like that, but your your personal journey. Sure. Um, so the legendary Miss Britney Spears. Um, I remember having my earth shattered when I heard Baby One More Time. Yes. And um, nothing would, could ever be the same. Um, it was one of, I think it actually was my first proper CD on my own. I had had mm-hmm. cassettes before. But um, it was my first proper CD that was my own and not shared with my brother. And it was a very big deal. Um, I've seen her live five times, including (laughs) the Baby One More Time promo tour. Stop. Um, So (laughs) I have been really in it and adored her from the very, very beginning. So I'm deeply invested in her and her well-being. And um, I... I really credit her tour for uh, being a beacon of light during, you know, uh, a very, through the the bleak existence of, you know, heteronormative uh, outside of the city living. Yeah, let me just give a little framing to that. So I also have two older brothers. And when I heard Hit Me Baby One More Time, I think I was seven or eight, it was obviously epoch defining and you and i will be talking about uh her astrological connection with youth culture but i did remember understanding on a fundamental level that that music was for me and it did not belong to my brothers and it was a turning point i think it it was a turning point i would say between uh gen x and millennials and it was a turning point between the two ranges of millennials i think i think hit me baby one more time 
you were either on board or you were too old and that's okay. Uh, but I think it was the turning point. And the other thing I just want to say is like, yes, non-city living, I think she was the key to survival. I think the other key was she got us through the Clinton, like post-Clinton impeachment miasma and the Bush years, just first and foremost. Um, okay, so we have a lot to say with Brittany and thank God you're here. We're going to start with the basics. I think we should run down the rising sun and moon. So I'm just going to do a few preliminaries. We are looking at a Placidus chart uh, of Britney Spears. Um, there are other systems for reading a person's chart, like whole signs. Dexter and I are doing Placidus. Dexter and I are doing our interpretation of the archetypes in Britney Spears chart. Um, this is not supposed to be definitive and we are not claiming to have some sort of a psychic foot foothold on her. If you don't agree with any of the elements in it, please let me know. I'm fascinated to hear and definitely take it or leave it. Uh, we are two diehard fans. This is done obviously with love. Um, and in support of her. So with that said, when Britney Spears was born in 1981, Libra was, was rising on the Eastern horizon. Libra is her rising sign. It starts her chart. It sets the focus, the theme, and the direction of her chart. I have very little experience with Libra risings besides you, Dexter. So I'm wondering if you could explain the, uh, the life of a Libra rising to us. It's what someday I will understand the life of a Libra rising to reference Britain, but as a Libra rising, I will try. Um, so Libra rising is in many ways a paradox because Libra rising implies an inverted chart when it comes to the houses and the uh, signs that rule them. Mm. So your first house is, um, ideally ruled by or it is ruled by it's an aries energy it is yeah. the you know it is breaking out going forward um libra is the inversion to the chart and libra is um archetypally understood as the scales of justice um i personally um have learned to understand libra as a mirror from the astrologer stephanie azaria so Libra always um, articulates a truth. Um, and I think for a Libra rising, uh, what's interesting about Libra rising is that they, we are, can be very, uh, we can get along with pretty much anybody. And, uh, but it, we're also the, the ones who, receive people's projections um so if if yeah with aries as the first sign in astrology and the sign of the individual libra comes at the midway point in the zodiac libra is the seventh sign and libra is the point of integration with others it's the point of of uh, harmony with others coming out of the individual self and into the collective. So yes, when we see Libra rising, there is this sense of off, the, like from the jump, you are already in the eye of the beholder and uh, kind of at, not at the mercy, but your self-definition is already um, being poor, put under this gaze of other people. 
Right. And so you're already um, almost instinctually molding. And of course, everybody does this, but you're instinctually molding yourself to how you'll be best received. Mm. So it's like, and that is a superpower in many ways, because it offers a lot of privilege when it comes to, you know, in certain terms, like a code switching of sorts, um, figuring out how to navigate different spaces um, and just under, just innately understanding the kind of the various social dynamics required to be part of a group. So, and this is kind of a cruel reality of any group from the most micro to macro. um, And regardless of how healthy the group is, there are certain rules that you need to adhere to, to be part of any group, any friend group, any structure, any society. So Libra Rising inherently can tap into whatever that is and nine times out of 10, figure it out and work perfectly. But this also oftentimes will diminish the the true needs of the self at the same time libra is so every sign has a planet which rules it libra is ruled by venus venus is like i always say that venus wherever venus is in your chart that's kind of like cinderella coming down the stairs in the ball venus is your beauty venus is kind of this moment of arrival where you're seen and appreciated so venus acts for the libra rising as this kind of tool towards yeah, I, I I wouldn't say, yes, code switching. I don't want to say social climbing, but I would definitely say uh, using one's charm or one's gifts to advance themselves social, socially, to secure social harmony. Um, you and I have been talking about this today. Who are the other Libra Risings? Bill Clinton, Anna Nicole Smith, JFK, Hitler. So in the case of Bill Clinton, Obviously, like Bill Clinton, there's a lot there, but I think if we think about kind of the early era Bill Clinton, he's extremely charming. Everyone liked Bill Clinton. The idea was that like Bill Clinton could go visit a fast food place in Omaha and everyone was so happy to see him. And now let's do a photo op. So there's this idea of, and JFK too, there's this idea that people can project onto you and you know kind of what people want. Um, and you can kind of be everything to people, which of course obviously has a dark side because that can get turned on you. Right. Totally. In terms of Anna Nicole, Anna Nicole was also a Libra rising and a Sag sun. So just like Britney Spears. So that is when we get the more interesting dynamic because yes, they both have this, um, advancement that goes on with the Libra. They both have this kind of bombshell sex symbology and the Sag Sun brings in, I think this, um, I don't want to say controversy, but I would just say they push the envelope and it goes from a sense of securing their own place to pushing the cultural conversation forward. Right. Well, it's like, it's like brashness versus demureness. Mm. (laughs) Yes. 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 Because I think Brittany and Anna Nicole are both very like beautiful, earnest souls, but I think like they both do command 
the room and they both are here to fuck up our kind of provincial ideas about about if Libra is so much dominated by beauty, they're both here to kind of fuck up our traditional ideas of beauty and gender. Right. And also both of them are, of course, um, victimized by other people's projections from day one. And what's interesting is that when both of them get to a certain level of um, material security, that they're less concerned with upholding that Libra rising, uh, making everybody else comfortable. And that's when things get really rough for them. That's an amazing point. So let's talk about that. Um, Britney Spears chart is ruled by Venus in Capricorn. Capricorn is very capitalistic. It's, uh, it's not really the most romantic Venus placement. It's more about having nice things and securing your surroundings. Um, Venus's, uh, Brittany's chart has a lot of uh, money and security stuff that's a positive and a downfall. So we have Pluto, which is the planet of death, underworld, and uh, regeneration in her first house in Libra. Pluto rules Scorpio. She has Scorpio in her second house of personal resources. And um, her Venus, along with ruling Libra, it's ruling her Taurus in the eighth house. Um, the eighth house is the house of shared resources, family inheritance. Um, so Venus is also in a mutual reception. So Venus should be in Libra. Uh, Saturn should be in Capricorn. Instead, Venus is in Capricorn. Saturn's in Libra. So Saturn, which is kind of the planet of structure and practicality, is in her Libra. Venus, which is the planet of beauty, is in Capricorn. So there is a huge focus on um, securing kind of securing the bag essentially for her and for her family um venus in the fourth house right conjunct her south node we know that uh it's being really directed w w as the ruler of the first house with this idea of i wrote this quote down transforming her family's karma um that's that pluto ruling the second house we know that the um, metamorphosis that happens and the kind of death or downfall that happens is related to money and uh it, it's related to the family money especially because venus and saturn are in this dialogue so yes just to simplify that venus in capricorn i think is very much like okay i want to have nice things let's get that secure um mm -hmm. once that happens let's look at this block in the first house which is in her first house of essential selfhood in Libra, we have Saturn, planet of structure, restriction, kind of the gatekeeper. And we have Pluto, which is death, metamorphosis, kind of the annihilator. Both of which are in a square to Venus. Saturn is trumping Venus because Saturn's exalted in Libra. So in a lot of ways, I would say Saturn in Libra works for her because she's able to give a perfect presentation. Uh, you can tell early on in life she is having to learn these lessons of hard responsibility, uh, hard work, determination, focus, perfectionism. But I also see Saturn as kind of a, uh, I see Saturn in her chart as like a father figure who's uh, 
holding her back in some ways. What do you feel about this Saturn in the first house or this Libra and Capricorn? I know I just jumped ahead a lot. So I think the Saturn in the first house is very much about her father and how he is quite literally holding her back from expressing herself. Now, um, I actually, I think on our first podcast together, I was explaining Libra through the myth of Sedna, which the, that same astrologer who describes Libra as a mirror um, actually has a, has affiliate, has a, what is the word? Um, Associated Libra with Sedna versus Venus. Now I'm just going to do a brief little recap of what the myth is. Um, Sedna was an Inuit princess in the mythology and she was hungry. And after, you know, being hungry, she screamed for her father to feed her. And he was so mad that she asked for basic needs to be met that he threw her out of the boat. She was, they were in together and she held onto the boat and he chopped her fingers off to leave her in the ocean to die. So then her fingers turn into like all of the sea creatures in the ocean and she kind of rules the Inuit underworld. Um, which Libra, we're, we've been talking about this um, and there's a lot of different versions of that myth as all myths have different iterations, but that's kind of a, a basic structure of a lot of them. Now, when we're talking about Libra and this like this rejection of um, or this this resistance to full expression at the expense of other people's comfort, um, which has in many ways served her to fit into you know a very patriarchal system and the music industry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to have Saturn in her first house of Libra, it's like she already, she was willing to restrict herself in this way. So having the Libra rising plus the Saturn in Libra in the first house, there is um, uh, an ability to discipline and restrict the self to fit into a very, very detailed machine of, you know, rehearsals, going to the studio, touring, working, traveling nonstop, um, while maintaining whatever level of rituals to maintain beauty and et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's, um, there isn't enough, there, this chart suggests to me that she is willing to for forego that slack that human beings need to just be human. So yeah. there's this, this ability to fit into a very, you know, rigid structure to get where she was able to go. Um, which I think probably is also the Venus and Capricorn where she would like to think of, she would love to be able to be seen as, you know, a Capricorn that is just completely structured without any need for um, weakness. Weakness, absolutely. Um, and I think she, 
the, all of the placements are showing that she's, you know, been able to pull it off so long. <laughs> yeah. So I loved everything you just said, you know, Venus, I think this Venus Saturn dynamic first is very tied in with what made her different, which is this perfect. She was able to deliver a perfect commodifiable femininity. Um, you and I previously, uh, you and I were talking today about the other kind of icons of the era as it was at the era of Gen X. Uh, a lot of the women icons were representing a kind of postmodern um, or a critical take on on the feminine. You know, we have Shirley Manson in Garbage. We have Gwen Stefani. Uh, you had brought up like the TLC girls. Uh, and then of course we have like the Lilith Fair contingent. I think her Venus in Saturn, her, her Venus Saturn mutual reception was like, I am going to take the traditional like lexiconal feminine vision give it to you in like perfect dance moves looks beauty all of it uh in a way that's commodifiable and um using that we are going to transform my family's financial circumstances that's where that pluto um pluto in the first house ruling her second house comes in but then it's that that femininity that saturn rules it it becomes a, a prison she doesn't get to she doesn't get to um venus itself kind of like in that myth that venus that feminine that gets unleashed saturn keeps it kind of boxed away in capricorn and it's squared by saturn and pluto so it's it's like it's not allowed to be it's not allowed to be imperfect and it's not allowed to be um transformed or liberated the pluto it's also only yeah. it's also only the interesting part of the myth too is it's like you're only allowed to exist if you don't um complain or assert yourself mm. and you're allowed to exist you just you're you will be punished if you um ask for you know basic human rights britney's Mars is in the 12th house um, in Virgo. Mars is kind of her drive, her individual voice. And it's in her 12th house of kind of secrets, trauma. So we know that her Mars, her, you know, who's behind the wheel is very kind of surreptitious. And we know that her Lilith, along with all these other planets in Sagittarius, her Sagittarius is in the third house of self-expression and her Lilith is there. So there is this aspect that when she has raised her own voice, um, there is an exile and a gaslighting and a punishment there that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and that Pluto to me in the first house, there is Pluto to me, I think always has to do with gaslighting. Um, and because Pluto is ruling her second house of personal values and personal earning, I think there's like this inborn gaslighting that happens um, that that is part of the kind of in imprisonment. Um, I'm wondering how any of that is sounding to you. I mean, I think it all kind of fits. Yeah. Um, okay. We're just talking about so many things. I'm like, <laughs> I know it's a lot to take in. So, but yeah, I would just say like to wrap that up, like I think 
Venus is we have in astrology the south node and the north node. The north node is the uh the northern uh direction of the moon's elliptical that represents higher consciousness. The south node is the kind of more lower consciousness where you come from. Her Venus in Capricorn in the fourth house of home and ancestry is right there on that south node. Um so I think her Venus is is kind of benighted there um and i think there's this idea that the father the saturn in that first house is this kind of fundamental gatekeeper um but uh here's where the kind of counter to that is britney spears north node is in cancer cancer is the uh kind of inverse of Capricorn. Capricorn is the sign of the state, of the patriarchy, of governance. Capricorn is the tribe. It's the mother. It's Cancer um, is the tribe, the mother. Sorry, Cancer is the tribe and the mother. Her Cancer is in the 10th house of career and public roles. Here we have her part of fortune, her north node, and her midheaven, which is like her, her highest career point. Cancer is ruled by the moon. The moon is obviously, not obviously, the moon is tied in more with the matrilineal culture, with the mother, with the kind of feminine ancestry. The moon is her soul, her kind of inner life. Her moon is in the fifth house of uh, romance, pleasure, and children. And it's in Aquarius. So Aquarius is the sign of, you know, dissemination dissemination of information to the masses. Aquarius is very much about new technology, youth movements, humanitarianism. So we know that there is a relationship with this kind of mother dynamic that plays out in her highest consciousness, in her highest career role. So yes, her Scorpio in the second house. Um, and her Capricorn in the fourth, fourth house with these kind of Saturn, Pluto in the first house ruling them. We understand that in her personal life, there is a lot of gaslighting around her earning potential money and her image. But when we think of this kind of higher, higher verve, how she's being received in the world in the 10th house, then we're really talking with cancer, which is kind of this life uh, mother's milk to the masses and her moon, which really belongs to her and can't really be touched by anyone else is in Aquarius and Aquarius is all about what am I giving to the people? How am I serving the masses? How am I pushing things forward? You know, decade two two decades in the past, at least what i'd love to hear your take on the aquarius moon so the aquarius moon i think is i think it is the the thing that makes britney britney i mm -hmm. think she it's the um i it's the unknowable part that it is her x factor um yeah. it's like there is this thing where she can tap into she can tap into what needs to be spoken, what needs to mm -hmm. be addressed, what needs to be said. Um, she also, it's this that is the, um, how she can send smoke signals, you know, from the beginning of the career, she was able to send signals to, you know, her, her fans, her, her children in a way um, about, that about having you know different kinds of confidence and um 
basically everything that we loved about her. I think that the the Aqua Moon was able to kind of give us those messages. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. it just it 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 makes everything a little weird because it's like everything that she does on the surface, people are just like, oh, she's just this like you know, perfect sparkly thing. And then you think about what some of the songs are about and it's just like, oh, like even the first single is Hit Me Baby One More Time. And it's like, that's dark. <laughs> yeah. There's um, a lot of her songs are, um, some are just plain odd. Like one of her song, like her, one of her recent songs, If I'm Dancing has the most like insane, perfect lyrics. And I literally like, I couldn't love her more for it but then also there's ones where it's just like oh she wanted to make this song about this like very specific experience that is kind of abstract but also very immediate and it's just like whoa Brittany okay cool um which is also like showdown and early morning and all of those from in the zone mm. um she's very she's very um She's very forward thinking in everything that she does. And that's the, that's the aqua moon. So yeah, uh, before I come back to the aqua moon, like Britney Spears, again, she has Mars in her 12th house. The 12th house is very much associated with the subconscious. It's very much uh, so, and her Mars is able to kind of like drive through that. So, and um, her son is in the third house. It's ruling Leo in the 11th house of network and community. So there is, all of that is to say, when we think of the airwaves of Aquarius, there is this ability to tap into what's going on in the cultural consciousness. So that's the first aspect of the Aquarius moon. Who are other people with Aquarius moons? Princess Diana, Eminem, Marilyn Monroe, John Lennon. So to focus on Princess Diana, the Aquarius moon, everything you do is grounded in a larger framework and ethos. Aquarius is all about ethos. Aquarius is all about how is what I'm doing changing, cha getting the consciousness ready for the kind of Piscean download, you know, how am I going to like lay the tracks so that the future is altered and the world can be transformed. So with someone like Princess Diana and Britney Spears and John Lennon, there's this aspect that even the smallest choices they made would resonate. If you think of any outfit that Princess Diana wore, any small uh, gesture of grace she made with a, with another person, it would resonate just in a different level than their peers. John Lennon has a different legacy than the other Beatles. Princess Diana has literally no peer. I mean, what are you going to say? Like Fergie, you know? And then with Britney Spears, especially like the tragedy of Christina Aguilera, who I love, um, who's no, Aquarius rising. Wow. Okay, that's tricky then. Um, she's a I Sag. Forgot... By the way. Oh, she's a Sag and she's an Aquarius rising. Wow. Taurus moon. I may have. I, yeah. But if you think about Britney's peers, Britney Spears's peers in the industry, I mean to say, 
there's often this thing where they weren't able to hit it in the same way because I don't think they, and I don't know that Brittany consciously even knew that she was always doing this, but everything Brittany did push the conversation forward beyond just the Sagittarian way of I'm going to bust down doors and fuck things up in an Aquarian way of we are really creating a new paradigm here. And that's a hard thing for any brand manager, a studio executive, uh, you know, manager of a label or music video director. If you're working with say like Mandy Moore to be like, okay, how do we replicate that? Because what Britney did, it can't really be put into words in the same way with princess Diana, which is there was a, there was a higher ethos here. That was right. And also, right. And it's like, even though of course Britney has made so many millions of dollars for everybody like she clearly has um clearly is part of the capitalist system but there's that aqua moon there's still her iconography always felt in service of people just the same way that I think Princess Diana's felt in service of people at least as a fan of hers from the start I felt like she was someone who was there for the fans always um and she yes. was which also goes into her restraint when it comes to her work like she is making something that is for people versus which even for if we're looking at her peer christina it's like christina's like i want to scream on this song i don't care if you want to hear it or not um yes where Brittany is like and oftentimes i do want to hear it that's no shade to christina um but it's like for Britney it's always just like oh I'm going to make I'm making something that will resonate with people and um and it's and it's and there's a humility to it because of that yeah Virgo Britney has Virgo in that 12th house that kind of secret house that studio the dark room the house of closure and that's where we have her Mars her Mars is a lot of her self-presentation it's her kind of fire and ferocity Virgo is very perfectionist obviously Virgo is very body oriented and Virgo I think is the sign of limits so I I do like this idea also Virgo is the sign of service so we have Virgo in the 12th house the house of self-sacrifice self-undoing the house of the christ so there is this idea we have pisces in the sixth house her body is going to be this very perfect vessel and it is very much dedicated uh to her fans her mars is in the 12th house it moves more surreptitiously but it is uh guided by service right Mm -hmm. and and you know to go with what you were just saying and and you know you brought this point up so well Uh, earlier her moon is in the fifth house the fifth house is the house of motherhood the moon is associated with motherhood cancer the kind of tribal mother's milk is in the 10th house of career and public role we know she obviously just wants to be a mom uh and for some reason we won't let her but to think about having uh the moon in the fifth house of motherhood in aquarius aquarius is all about 
uh, the larger human collective. It's kind of like the 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 world click, basically, as I would say. So there's this idea now. Um, you and I are recording this while Jupiter is transiting her moon in Aquarius, and this April Saturn will be transiting her moon in Aquarius. There is this idea that her kind of more metaphorical children, her fans, her tribal children are being activated. Um, Aquarius is ruled by Uranus. Uranus is the planet of revolution. Uranus is very much associated, obviously, with queer culture and with youth culture. And she has Uranus right there uh, in that third house of self-expression. So there is this idea, I think, of because she has that moon in that fifth house of children and it's in Aquarius, so it's tapped in with kind of the, the children of the world, she... That ties into her ability to tap into youth culture and obviously with that Venus and Capricorn to be sold to youth culture, um, which is a double-edged sword for her because I think it's like the source of her power in a way that her father will never understand. But it's also, it was used to imprison her because she is the face of 90s consumerism. Right, or Y2K consumerism, yeah. Y2K consumerism, sorry. Yeah, I think... um, and when you were saying how the fans were being activated right now, I'm just thinking about the beautiful irony of the, like right after, remember when Gaga named the little monsters and every pop star had to name their group? It's a fan. My worst nightmare. It's my, literally, I actually was at the concert where Gaga named them the little monsters and that was like the day I stopped standing. Um, but anyway, it was in Boston, it was awful. She was like, pause up and then everybody did it. And I was like, I'm leaving. Anyway, and, and now um, now we live in a world where it's like yesterday the bay hive got activated when beyonce announced and it's like please stop like please die. please please stop i'm going to die. <laughs> um right it's so it's it, it's wild but um back then it was like everybody named their group and i don't know if this was britney's naming or her team's naming either would be appropriate but the britney fans are called the britney army and mm. if we're not going to war for her, I don't know. <laughs> it's right. kind of perfect. And I do love that her, because her Mars, which is her God of War, is in the 12th house, uh, which is kind of like a house of self-sacrifice and self-undoing. I love that we kind of have to go to war for her. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, that's kind of also another tragedy to me of the Libra rising, which is like, I do think that on some level libras do just want things to be like beautiful and harmonious and they just want everyone to be happy and like loving them um so it is this very like gentle generous giving to the fans which is really tragic when everyone then turned on her totally i mean that's like my my biggest gripe with the world is i'm like i made it nice why can't you just be nice Mm. but then i'm like if there's no but then it's like there's no rewards for being nice so there's no need to be anymore um, and that's the but, thing with Anna Nicole too. Right, totally. Um, one actually interesting point that I want to bring up is Britney's voice, which mm. I think that she is the most effective pop vocalist of her time and since. And, and everybody who has followed has been influenced. An interesting yes. point though, is that her iconic vocal fry that we all know and love, and if you don't love it, I'm not talking to you. Um, <laughs> is it is a um oh god what's the right word but it is an affectation um Mm. we know the videos from when she was a child 
of her full voice singing. Um, and her vocal fry, you know, isn't something that you can sustainably do in a live singing. Mm. Uh, um, and it isn't healthy and it is a diminishing of the fullness of her voice. So I think there is some deep metaphorical stuff there. And the fact that she's was able to skyrocket because of the diminishing of her full voice is interesting. Um, of course, that, and that is, that's is her Lilith to me. You think so? Sorry, continue. You sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You continue, and then we'll get into her Lilith. I because I I'm thinking I'm like it's it is I think her voice is stunning, and I love listening yeah. to it. Um, but I understand that it's like this might this for the health of the person. I don't know if it's the best thing. Um, in the long run and it's like it's it's so weird how it's it just so fits perfectly with every other metaphor of her career and her um life and her chart lilith which represents you know the moment she gets kicked out of paradise this moment of exile this moment of her femininity being put under attack is in that third house in sagittarius uh in the house of self-expression the house of the voice the house of communication and um you know, I think that's an amazing Lilith moment of Lilith being like, okay, uh, you want to take my voice from me and you want to say it's not even my own voice? Like, fine, go for it. Like, I'm still going to be the chosen one. Fuck you. You know what I mean? There is this like, fine, you want to take it? Like, you can't even have it. And it's also there, the, of course, the era's obsession with, you know, and not only just current, but the it's like the current era's obsession with youth and sexuality in a way mm. that like even during Madonna's, when Madonna came up, it, she never wanted to look like a teenager. She wanted to be a cool 20 something in New York. She never, it's, the obsession wasn't with being like a sexy baby, um, which mm -hmm. is very much the aesthetic and it's only continuing. Um, so it's, it's very, interesting the role of her voice and the affectations um mm. but yeah that is interesting that Lola's point hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's just talk about the Sagittarian aspect. Um, she has Uranus, planet of kind of upheaval and awakening. She has Neptune, dream, subconscious, imagination, the fantasy. She has Mercury, communication, Lilith, and then her son, all in Sagittarius in the third house of self-expression, kind of daily life, daily ritual, the house of the goddess. So I'd love to know your take on the, you are a Sagittarius moon. I'd love to know your take on the kind of lineage of Sagittarian divas. Ooh, um, well, we have a bunch of Sagittarius pop stars, um, especially in post-Britney. So there's yes. Britney, there's Christina, there's um, Taylor Swift, Nicki Minaj. 
um jojo Miley cyrus Jojo. um the list goes on tina turner tina turner yes um there is i think because when i think about sagittarius i think about shooting stars which is why Mm. i think they're such effective pop stars um now i think which is also why i think britney is kind the most perfect pop star is because the Sag versus the Aqua Moon, where the Aqua Moon taps into the youth, but the the Sag gives the fireworks. Um, yes, because we don't have that many we don't have that many Aquarius pop stars because they don't really do fireworks. Like no. we have Shakira, we have Alicia Keys, we have Tinashe, and that's those are the ones that I can think and of. Kelly and Kelly Rowland, like Aquarius, it's so much. Aquarius is so much more about. Like if you think about Kelly Rowland or Tinashe, it's so much more about like their relationality with the music itself and like with the process. And and like Kelly Rowland, it's so much more about like who who is she collaborating with rather than like it's it's not And there's there's a vibe, there's a there's Exactly. A... It's not self-focused. It's way more like bigger right. picture, which isn't good for pop. Sagittarius, right. I think, is very much it's like fireworks and ego in the best way. Yes, because and it's like Sagitt- it's joyful yeah. versus exactly. like versus like versus like Leo ego, which of course Madonna will always be like my fave. But um, and but Leo, right? But Leo ego is very much like oh, but it's me, it's me, it's me, and it's which is why which is why Shakira was so much better than J Lo on the Super Bowl as a J Lo, yes. not <laughs> someone who, not someone who dislikes her either. But um, but yeah, no, Sag is like it's the ego, but it's the fireworks. So Britney has that and can give it to you. But she also knows it's not about her, which is a very, very paradoxical mix. It's Sag to me doesn't know limits and Sag wants to push limits, which goes really well with that Aquarius. I think Sag is really like, it's Nicki Minaj being like, okay, I did it on him. Like I am going to come and like rock everyone's world because Sag gets, Sag loves to be dazzled, like you said, with fireworks. So I love, you know, to me, Sag pop stars work because it's Miley Cyrus talking to a bunch of record execs and being like, okay, we're gonna do this and it's gonna gag people because Sag is always going further. Sag is always pushing itself kind of to new heights, even if they're not realistic. So yeah, Britney Spears being like, okay, I'm going to wear this bodysuit in the toxic video and it's going to change people's lives. Like there is this aspect of like, it can't, it always has to be the next level. And I think that's the other. And like when that comes through the, if you think about Tina Turner, like every Tina Turner number, it's just like, holy fucking shit. Is she doing this with her body? Because Sag is like, yeah, I want to go harder this time. Right. And then of course with Britney, it was like, after in the zone it was like she did toxic and i'm like i don't know where you go as a pop star after that so then she was like i'm gonna do give me more (laughs) to me blackout is the 12th house album um again Mm -hmm. her mars is in this 12th house the house of the studio the house of uh the house of self-undoing blackout is the album that happened during her quote like her us her ostensible nadir and uh her Mars is in Virgo. Virgo is very perfectionist. Virgo's very body. Virgo's very process. I think Blackout is very much her 12th house album, which is, it's this like 
perfect dark non I, I i can't call blackout subtle obviously but it is not commodifiable in the way that the other albums are and to me it's more mars than if we think of a lot of her her other albums as her venus and capricorn to me blackout is that dark mars and virgo virgo I is a fucking Mar freak like kinky all of that i think it's right because virgo is the, the low-key freak always. um always but also the aqua moon is very blackout too because it's just yes. like the technology also the, blackout's the only album that britney executive produced by herself really um, yes so um which is an interesting tidbit um which is very aquarius moon because i mean you and i were talking about this earlier but like blackouts dna reverberates everywhere all the time and blackout it didn't matter if blackout wasn't widely lauded when it came out because it changed dance and pop music for decades to come and she dropped blackout in fucking like the deepest darkest part of the bush years like blackout was an oasis in the desert and she was like i'm just gonna do this you know mm-hmm yeah, it was, which also, even just thinking about the songs on it, like Piece of Me is Oof. just looking at her chart. It's like, that is, the, well, there, there's so many different things to, to talk about. I don't even know where to start. Um, mm, piece of Me. But Piece of Me is like, the, it is the rebuttal against the cage of everything. Um, and because, I think Give Me More is very Venus and Capricorn of her being like, you want more? I'll give you more. Like, Does, does thou wish to live deliciously? Like yes. in the wit? Um, I'm, I'm also forgetting what I said just because this is their second time recording this. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking that we're like, I'm gonna, okay. So I think I'm gonna repeat what I said earlier. Okay. Does that make sense? Where am I? It makes sense. There? I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm in a Britney Spears fugue at this point and just okay. like go off. Go off. Okay. So one thing that we are, that we had mentioned earlier was how with the Aqua Moon, it's like uh, Britney has to like send smoke signals or so the Aqua Moon and the Libra Rising, Britney has to send smoke signals to actually um explain herself yeah nothing ever really direct it actually kind of reminds me of a few years ago there was this youtuber where people were convinced she was being held captive but it turns out she wasn't and she was just being in a, a weird aquarius mm -hmm. um it was oh my god what was her name but it's very like it makes sense that britney would be um have a storyline that feels kind of like is this a conspiracy theory or is this not um of course we know that it's not so far so um but like from the third i think the third fragrance which was right maybe a year or two before blackout came out she started using imagery of being within a cage so mm. there was that photo shoot there was when she performed piece of me on the circus tour the whole thing was in a cage and it was one of the oh. most effective performances I've ever seen in my life. Fuck. Um, I saw that tour twice and oh, heaven. Um, but every tour since then, she's had a cage moment. Um, the cover of the Glory Deluxe album is Britney in a cage. Um, mm. The scrapped video for Make Me was her in a cage. Um, 
and everything has been, she's been articulating through the work, the restrictions that she feels. Um, but what's, I think that the only way that she can really assert herself since she's under such strict, um, under the domineering oversight of her conservatorship and her father is that she can only really communicate with people by um, messing up her performances, by not performing to the, the standard that she set, by not doing things um, in a way that makes people think that things are okay. Because I think that if anybody would be able to pretend that everything is okay this whole time, it would be Brittany because like we see her and the things are a nightmare um but yeah it's like the art is like I'm in a cage I'm stuck why are you guys all clapping this is weird um yeah her and then Mars is square Neptune um and I love this idea you know that usually means uh some form of self-sabotage usually involving substances her mars is in the 12th house of self-undoing but if we think about neptune as the fantasy or the matrix that that she's projecting that we're all buying and selling i love her mars squaring it being like i am going to set bugs in the matrix so that while you're watching you get these little cracks of the individual in the 12th house the 12th house is the prison the 12th house is the pr prison of consciousness and she who her individualism her mars is trapped in this prison is kind of like hitting the walls of the matrix just enough just subtly enough that we can kind of pick up and be like wait a minute there's a blur in the frequency you know And she has been really doing this ever since she shaved her head. So I think the head shaving was the first time because it was like, we've been talking about how she's been able to commodify beauty and that when she shaved her head, she was like, I don't care anymore. I don't, mm. I'm not willing to serve you in that way. So that happened. Um, yes. She of course used to have perfect makeup all the time. And now she famously smudges her eye makeup like crazy, um, mm. which of course is iconic, but even going back to the circus tour right after she was being forced out onto the road again, there, I remember while that was happening, there were a lot of, um, there was insane coverage of the tour. So it was like one night she came out and said, Merry Christmas, even though it was like July or something. And everybody was like, Oh, crazy Brittany, crazy Brittany. Mm. And then there was one night where she is like, um, came out and was like rock out with your cock out and everyone was like what wow. um all of this stuff and it was just there were lots of outbursts and things but I think it's exactly what you're saying where it was just like putting bugs into the matrix because it's like this is not business as usual this has not been business as usual so the sooner we stop acting like it is the better it is for everyone and I think that also goes into her Instagram posts where people just write it off and say, oh, well, she's so crazy. And just like, oh, I feel bad for her. And it's like, but you don't even know, it's like, you should feel bad for her, but you're feeling bad for her in the wrong way. You're feeling bad for her because she's not living up to standards, not because she doesn't have human rights. Right. <laughs> I <laughs> love, <laughs> I love, you know, I, I'm thinking there's so much to say. What I loved with you saying about her shaving her head, um, 
her Venus is in a square with Pluto. So her kind of commodified uh, Venus in Capricorn uh, is in a square with Pluto in her first house. So we know that on one end that Pluto, which is the transformer, the destroyer and the site of rebirth, that Pluto was able Pluto, which rules her second house of shared uh, of personal resources, but which is in Scorpio, which is all about family resources. So that Pluto was able to use her Venus, her femininity, her commodifiability to transform her family circumstances. It's how she was uh, kind of used and it did transform her circumstances and make her a star. But it's in a square and Pluto is the destroyer. So there's this aspect with the shaving of her head of her being like, this is what got me here and I am going to I'm going to burn it all down and let's see what's you know, it, it, it is this moment of destruction and reclamation with that Venus square to Pluto of her being like, if this is what you are all banking on and if this is what you've all made an industry out of, I'm going to burn right. it down and let's see what's standing after. Right everything that you hold dear is terribly dysfunctional and toxic and I'm not standing for it anymore. Yes. And, you know, Brittany's moon in Aquarius is sextiled or supported by her Uranus. So that's kind of that ability to ride on the waves of technology and work with youth movements and her son, her Mercury and her Lilith. So to me, there is just this aspect that I think similarly with Lady Diana, Lady Diana was very smart about what she said, when and how. And the reason that the Martin Bashir interview is what it is, is because she was like, I'm going to do this one interview where I turn the entire monarchy upside down forever. Um, right. And I think Brittany hasn't had the ability to have her Martin Bashir moment where she can say, this is what's happened. But she is able, uh, I think, to tap into the youth culture consciousness, plant seeds for the youth culture that I think the the older Saturnine, uh, old guard, older generation gatekeepers who are managing her money and her life and her image aren't fully able to recognize or tap into themselves. And then I think she's, the Saturn, I'm sorry, the moon in Aquarius is very much, I think about subtly, and again, also her Mars in that 12th house very subtly sowing seeds um not just for her own liberation but for a new paradigm in which this wouldn't even be happening you know absolutely i think because i think there definitely is uh i think aquarius's superpower is going into toxic spaces and kind of being able to bridge them to a less brutal place thinking yeah thinking about so many different Aquariuses I'm like how did how is Cindy Crawford iconic Aquarius model mm. not like a total wreck because how many models it's like you just get chewed up and spit out and it's like right the industry doesn't care about you or your health or your well-being and she's like no I'm going to be very healthy and successful and there is that Aquarius element of being like I'm going to make this into a healthier way to be and for Brittany that meant burning it all down and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with her Libra rising, the tragedy is I think she's able, 
her chart has a lot of this kind of self-sacrifice for the fandom or for the culture at large, which comes through that 12th house Mars, that 6th house Pisces, that Aquarius moon, uh, and mm -hmm. that big picture thinking Sagittarius sun. I think the Libra rising is probably not able to advocate for herself. I think she's I able to make these big leaps and sacrifices for the collective, but that Libra rising, especially with that brutal Saturn Pluto there, makes it harder for her to do that for herself. And that's kind but of a lot of the tragedy. I think the other part of the darkness is that I think that if she didn't have the Libra rising, people wouldn't care. I mm. think that I think that if she didn't have the Aqua Moon and the Libra rising, people really wouldn't care because when a woman um or a femme isn't the perfect, perfect victim. And that means you don't complain, you don't do anything, you just are, you are just receiving it. Mm. Then the public can be like, oh my God, how could you do something to that girl? But then the second that you talk back, it's just like, it's like how Monique was um, uh, just asking for equal pay and like I, I don't remember the whole situation monique is a sagittarius and monique basically said like i did a movie and i'm nominated for an oscar i am not going to like spend my own money to be like paraded around on this like white hollywood oscar circuit just to praise right. the institution and she was forever castigated for it right exactly and i think that that might not be the perfect example to to counter with Britney, but I think that if Britney were just like, I think that if Britney complained, people wouldn't care anymore. I I think agree. there is an element of her being the perfect victim, and that go that does include whiteness, and I think that does include a lot of different things. Like obviously, she's beautiful and she's white, and she's um, but I think that all of those privileges would be for nothing if she complained i think that people wouldn't care i think even think even thinking even thinking about anna nicole smith the fans like her but she is still she is still brutalized in the media she is still a punching bag and she's dead and you know britney does not have a lot of gemini i think if we look at more of a gemini queen if we look at like naomi campbell azalea or even alanis like to me, someone with a Gemini energy, it's like, oh my God, she's going to stir up the shit. I wonder what she's going to say next. You know what I mean? Or in some other cases, Sagittarius, like if we think of, sometimes if you think about other Sagittarians, that can work. But yeah, I think the Libra, which is like so much about harmony and just like, I want people to be happy. Um, that's that's where we have this kind of double-edged sword. Um which also, if whenever any of those Geminis that you mentioned do say anything about, you know, terrible treatment, people do immediately demonize them. Yes. But whenever like Azalea or Alanis, I think, tries to just be traditionally pretty or like traditionally just like do one thing straightforward, they're like, well, what are you doing? Why aren't you giving us like that edge? You know? Getting crazy, um, yeah, I think, you know, the Pluto in Libra generation was meant to kind of fuck up old boomer ideals about relationships and beauty and sexuality and femininity. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of ways they did with the more traditional Gen X movements, as we said earlier, with like 
the Shirley Manson, early Gwen Stefani, Sarah McLaughlin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, TLC, Left Eye, obviously. I think Britney took that to a different place. I think you and I agree with that, which was this kind of Sagittarian, um, I'm actually going to do things really directly and I'm going to do direct femininity rather than postmodern femininity. And that's going to be controversial. And I think a lot of her Pluto and her Saturn, a lot of the destiny there is that work, that battle is not quite over. And I think like that Saturn there is indicative of i think britney was meant to be this moment and she still is where we're post-feminist we're post all of that like it's the new millennium like people love women don't they and it's like she kind of came to show like actually no you are dazzled by me and you are frightened of me um and i am going to like keep pushing that that's the aquarius moon which is like even if we don't solve this now, like while George Bush is president, I am going to push the gender, the misogyny conversation, the um, the uh, the kitty porn in music mm-hmm. conversation as far as it's going to go. Even if I don't get like I don't get a resolution, you know, Libra. Right. Even if she doesn't get the justice, her Libra rising does want justice. Yeah totally and right and and she's always like from the the beginning spoken out against misogyny in the the industry Mm -hmm. and the insanity and of course the i think the documentary was very thoughtful in talking about you know the diane sawyer interview and that like horrible politician who said that she would shoot britney spears if she saw her and all this stuff and it's like yeah it's like misogyny is very real and upheld by all of the sexes so yes that's great yes um (laughs) And by the way, her Mars is in Virgo, so she's like, I don't even care if you're attracted to me. I'm just going to be hot no matter what, like, which I love. Right. I am literally, I am literally the perfect person. So there's that, sweetie. So again, like I've said, we have planets in Aquarius hitting her moon in that fifth house. I think her, her metaphorical children are being activated in an amazing way. Um, I think uh, i said this earlier to you dexter we are in 2026 going to be hitting her uranus opposition that is when the planet uranus uh for the once in a lifetime moment in your 40s it opposes it makes a 180 degree angle with where it was when you were born and it sets off this period of kind of revolution extreme liberation that's why people in their 40s um I mean, men in their 40s have midlife crises, but women in their 40s often feel they're most liberated because they're like, oh, I'm coming free. So I truly believe that I really think, hopefully now, but certainly as we go into the later, the 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 latter half of the 2020s, we're going to see a massive reclamation of the voice especially because her uranus opposition will be in gemini it will be opposing her third house which is gemini's domain so there is this aspect of her voice getting reclaimed fully that's what i'm hoping to see who knows um i'm curious what you are wanting to see in the kind of coming revolution I mean, I think we had mentioned this earlier, how um, her south node's in Capricorn and her north node is in Cancer, which is where her midheaven is. And so her midheaven is how she is her 
career point of success, how she is out in the world. And um, to have that be right where her North Node is as well, it's like this, this path of destiny um, where she is moving away from the, you know, really sadistic structures of Capricorn that have kept mm. her down for so long um, and moving away from literally her father and the patriarchy um, mm. through uh, with her, with her little, with our, her Brittany army um, mm. into the Cancerian um, matriarch and her own tribe. Um, so I think that is something that we can see in the chart i hope that we um that it happens sooner rather than later um yeah i'm i'm really sad just because i i don't think that I, anything could happen especially because lord knows in a post 2020 world anything can happen but um i i'm sad that her kids are going to be almost of age before she has some kind of semblance of freedom her greatest desire has always been to be a mom. So I'm not, um, have the full experience of that, that I think she, you know, has more than earned and deserved. It's interesting because like we said, her chart is inverted where it starts with Libra and halfway through goes to Aries. And if we think of Aries as Vir through Virgo as the personal houses and Libra through Pisces as the collective houses, there's almost this sense that the first half of her life is the personal for the collective. And then the second half of her chart is hopefully the collective for the personal. You know, I think hopefully there's yeah. an integration. Uh, it, it It's almost like the first part of her life involves so much self-sacrifice that we can hopefully get this sense of individuation um, in the in the balance, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I hope so. Dexter, where can people be following you? So I'm on Instagram at Dexter Driscoll. My Twitter is Dex for breakfast. Um, I'm on both all the time. So come uh, ask for message me about a reading or David and I will tag team you and do a reading like this together. It'll be really fun. It'll change your life. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have been read by Dexter and it did rock my world. Um, Dexter revealed to me that I'm a sex symbol and that I need to explore uh, foot stuff more. So I really recommend <laughs> it for everyone. And um, I have been David Odyssey. You know where to find me, okay? You know what I mean? Um, thank you so much for listening and free Britney. The Luminaries is made with love in New York City. Consulting producer, Carly Hugendijk. Art design by Greg Kozatek. Music by Henry Kapersky. If you'd like to book a reading, astrology, or tarot with me, David Odyssey, you can email adavidodyssey at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, david underscore odyssey. Thanks for listening. Mwah.